YouTube is racist. That is what some are saying when they look at the situation that we're gonna talk about for today's first story. Right, so at the center of this, you have online creator Corey Kenshin putting out a new video where he asks this big question. YouTube, you guys either play favorites, you are racist, or it's a mix of the two. These are the three options, YouTube. Which one is it? Right, so that video was posted yesterday. It is currently number one trending. And in that video, Corey outlines how he thinks that YouTube and its algorithm are racist and age restrict videos from black creators when non-black creators who post similar content don't see the same consequences. With the saying, he has felt this for a while but never wanted to call it out. I never wanna be that guy, oh, it's cause I'm black. Oh, these issues are happening cause I'm black. This time, I can no longer let it slide. With Corey then explaining last week, he uploaded a video where he played the mortuary assistant and it got age restricted. You know, he's not the only creator doing that. So he's like, okay, perfect time to compare and contrast. He looks at other creators playing that same game and it seemed like he was the only one who got restricted. So he appealed the decision, but it got rejected. He then reaches out to his YouTube content who says that maybe it happened because at the end of the video, he includes a part of the game that involves a character battling depression. So Corey's like, okay, wait, was I the only one that featured that same part? But then he stumbles across another creator's video, Markiplier. He's one of the biggest creators on the platform. Corey's saying he has a lot of respect for Markiplier. He's not trying trying to drag him into this whole mess, but your channel just has happens to be a great reference point because A, you're a really big YouTuber and B, you're not black. So I can look at your channel and then I can look at my channel or look at anyone else's channel and make sure that the things and the games that you play all that they're enforcing the rules equally to everybody. And Corey's saying that when he looked at it, Markiplier included the same content, but he wasn't age restricted. So he reached out to his contact again to kind of be like, so, okay, what's the deal then? His contact then says, I'll contact the policy team, have them look at it. And then that video gets unrestricted, which understandably shocked Corey considering they already rejected his appeal, right? He thought like, if anything, I'm accidentally screwing this other guy. They're going to double down. They're going to restrict Markiplier's video, but saying, but they looked at Mark's video and they use that to verify my innocence. And so with all of that, Corey sends his YouTube rep an email saying, hey, I think there's racism and favoritism at play here. And I wanna sit down with the policy team to talk things out. We're wanting to see, are human beings doing this? Is it automated? What's going on? Because he doesn't feel like this is an isolated incident. Every time he comes back to YouTube, he's trending for a bit, but then something happens to knock him down. So then, oh my God, his rep says, okay, I'm gonna go to work for you. We're gonna answer these questions. And after a few days, they re-age restrict his video. And then go on to age-restrict Markiplier's video as well. They got caught with their pants down. They got called out. And then they had to go back and say, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, we see the narrative that he's kind of pushing here. We need to take some steps back. We need to just age restrict them both and be done with it. With Corey adding, he knows he can't directly prove that race had anything to do with this, but he added that we just don't know much about the people behind closed doors at YouTube that call these shots. And saying he feels this way, especially since this always happens to him right when he's seeing a lot of growth. And it always just comes off like we can't let this black guy get too high up. As well as saying, sure, he could be proved wrong here. And if he is proved wrong, he would apologize, but this is how it feels. I believe there is some racism involved within the policy team and YouTube in general really doesn't care about black people like that. Or with Corey saying, yeah, they do spotlight black creators, but that doesn't mean anything. It's fake. They have their favorites and all that stuff. It's just for show. With Corey arguing, instead of pandering, when a black creator comes to you and says that they're being treated differently, don't do some weird song and dance, actually do something to correct those wrongs. Also, this video, according to Corey, has been flagged for ad suitability. And the response to this video has been very, very big. Tons of comments and support, commending him for speaking out, saying this issue deserves attention. You've seen people on Twitter calling out YouTube for flagging the video. Large creators like Jideon saying, 
Susan Wojcicki should sit down with Corey and discuss these issues. And of course, with this story, I'd love to know your thoughts, but it's going to be very interesting to see what happens here because this feels too big for YouTube to ignore. Like Corey's not just some random creator. He has over 14 million subscribers on the platform. He's only posted four videos in the last, I think, four months. And even with that, he got 100 million views in the last 30 days. And only time will tell how big this snowball gets. It would have never got this out of hand if it wasn't for that DeFranco guy. Let's watch some crazy stuff, yo. Kids been doing drugs. I thought this was a commercial. What's going on? I mean, Black, don't don't worry about it. Let's just, just see where this goes. That is uh, my way of paraphrasing the results from this new survey by the National Institutes of Health. Young adults are using marijuana and hallucinogens at an all-time record high. Specifically, finding that between April and October of 2021, adults 19 to 30 use one of the substances at the highest rate since the agency first began recording in 1988. For weed, nearly 42.6% reported using pot in the last year, 28.5% in the last month, around 10.8% on a daily basis. And it's a very significant jump from just five years ago. And then when it comes to hallucinogens in this age group, eight out of 100 said they consumed hallucinogenic drugs in 2021, nearly double of what we saw five years ago. But also, the closer you look at the situation, the less surprising this trend is. It was about a decade ago when we first saw Colorado and Washington legalize it. Since then, 17 other states have followed suit, another 13 legalizing medical use. Also, there's really not a stigma around it as much anymore. While hallucinogens between the two are obviously more taboo, experts are saying they're seeing a similar trend with those. There are more and more mainstream conversations happening around these drugs. And in addition to an increasing number of jurisdictions moving to decriminalize certain hallucinogens, specifically mushrooms, there's also been this growing movement of people utilizing drug-assisted therapies using substances like MDMA and ketamine. And while anecdotal, I'll say I know some people that do this, and it's been fucking game-changing for them. I mean, it feels like every week or every month there's like some new big study. One of the most recent ones was talking about how psilocybin or magic mushrooms, it could actually help people stop heavy drinking. But of course, with this, you still have people concerned about this massive jump. With, for example, Dr. Nora Volkov, the director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse, which publishes the annual survey, saying, Overall, the results are very concerning. What they tell us is that the problem of substance abuse among young people has gotten worse in this country and that the pandemic, with all its mental stressors and turmoil, has likely contributed to the rise. While my opinions on hallucinogens and marijuana seem to differ with this person, I think we're going to have a disagreement about what all this means. Still, I think that if we continue to look at the data, we find very good news. And that is that I found a historically low use of cigarettes, alcohol, and opioids in this same year. Though, that, that's probably only meaningful with opioids and alcohol since the cigarettes, like that's just getting replaced with vaping. But hey, with all that said, I like to ask these questions now and then because people's opinions change with time. What are your thoughts right now about hallucinogens and marijuana? So shout out Philly D. Okay, Philly, can I get some more thumbnails please? I gotta get more outrageous here. And then, you know, being careful when you're online is key because when you're not careful, hackers could gain access to your computer, your bank account info, or worse. And it's on that note of security that I wanna take a second to thank the fantastic partner and sponsor of today's show, NordVPN, and more directly, nordvpn.com slash phil. NordVPN is an international company focusing on security, convenience, and access to content. They've also expanded their operations and there's a lot of new features that come with the software that makes it worth the investment. Like Nord's threat protection feature, it neutralizes cyber threats before they can do any real damage to your device. It makes browsing safer, smoother, and helps identify malware-ridden files, stopping me from landing on malicious websites and blocking trackers and intrusive ads on the spot. And get this, once you enable threat protection, it's constantly on the lookout even when you're not connected to a VPN. I love that these functions are at work in the background all the time. I don't even have to think about it. So head on over to nordvpn.com phil to get a huge discount of a two-year plan and wait for it four months free. It's an absolutely incredible deal. Seriously, so that's nordvpn.com phil. It's all risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. 
It's socialism. That is what Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and many other Republicans are calling Biden's loan forgiveness, calling the policy astonishingly unfair, and saying President Biden's student loan socialism is a slap in the face to every family who sacrificed to save for college, every graduate who paid their debt, and every American who chose a certain career path or volunteered to serve in our armed forces in order to avoid taking on debt. Senator Ted Cruz also calling this a Hail Mary before the midterms, which, hey, is a statement that the cynical part of my brain does not dismiss. It can be two things at the same time, a political move, and at the same time, something that genuinely will help millions of Americans. Now, with all that, I will say something that's surprising is, you know, we knew that Republicans were going to push back on this, but we've actually seen a decent amount of pushback from a number of Democrats, especially with more centrist Democrats, people like Representative Tim Ryan. He's an Ohio Senate nominee, and he said, waiving debt for those already on a trajectory to financial security sends the wrong message to millions of Ohioans without a degree working just as hard to make ends meet. As well as Democrat and former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers saying, every dollar spent on student loan relief is a dollar that could have gone to support those who don't get an opportunity to go to college. We've also seen competing narratives regarding who this is actually going to help, with a number of people citing an independent study from the Penn Wharton budget model, which said that knocking out $10,000 for people making less than $125,000 a year would cost the government $300 billion. Also saying that at minimum, 69% of the debt forgiven would go to households in the top 60% of the income distribution. But we've seen pushback against that from Biden and his administration, saying that among other things, with the income cap, the relief's going to make sure the money goes to who needs it most, and saying that 90% of those affected by this loan forgiveness are going to be households making $75,000 or less per year. But also, while all of this is happening, you still have a number of Democrats pushing against this, saying, hey, this doesn't do enough, with some saying even more debt needs to be forgiven, but even more pointing to the fact that college just, the, the cost is insane. The cost of tuition has gone up in a way that's just, it doesn't make any sense. And because of that, this is just kind of a small band-aid on a gushing wound. And you know, it's been a while since I went to college, so when I saw reports about the price of college now, it's, it's insane. Reportedly, per the college board, average in-state tuition for a four-year public university is $9,410 per year. And if you're an out-of-state student, that's $23,890 per year. And then if you're looking at a private university, right, if you take into account all four years to get a diploma, it averages to $130,000. Meanwhile, last year, the median family income before taxes was less than $80,000. And that's without the books, the room, the board, the, that's in what? And of course, why wouldn't these greedy colleges continue to raise the prices? In their eyes, they essentially have a money printing machine and no one's really keeping them in check because in this country, that's just considered a part of life, which is why for a while now we've seen people floating possible solutions, though not gaining a ton of traction. Some ideas include revoking the tax-exempt status of schools that exceed tuition inflation limits. Some also think it would be a good idea to deny federal research grants to a number of schools with the belief this could rein in especially large public and private universities. But for now, that's where we are and we'll have to wait to see what happens. Thoughts on Philip DeFranco's comments? Is that guy's, still, that guy's channel still relevant? And then, you know, it's been exactly three months to the day since a gunman walked into Robb Elementary and slaughtered 19 children and two teachers. And now the latest update that we have to the situation came during a school board meeting to determine what should be done about police chief Pete Arredondo. Right? He was the guy who wasted an hour trying to talk to the shooter, trying to get into nearby classrooms and waiting for keys to the one that the shooter was in, even though it was unlocked. But then reportedly choosing not to attend the meeting yesterday, saying that he had received death threats and didn't feel safe. But him not being there didn't stop community members from pouring into this high school auditorium and unleashing their anger on the school board. If it was one of your children, heads would be rolling right right now but because it's not you don't care i have messages for pr and and all the law enforcement that were there that date hurting your badge and step down you don't deserve to wear one the people in the audience shouting cowards and no justice no peace brett cross an uncle of one of the victims unexpectedly jumping on stage and handing a letter to the board demanding that it hold deliberations out in the open do not take this into closed sessions we deserve to hear. Our babies are dead. Our teachers are dead. Our parents are dead. The least y'all can do is show us the respect to do this.
in the public. Others backing up, but after all of that, the school board goes into a closed session. They come back around 90 minutes later, and this happened. Mr. Board President, I move that good cause exists to terminate the non-certified contract of Pete Arredondo effective immediately. Carry on, all in favor? Motion passes unanimously. You hear some light applause, some people yelling. Otherwise, though, it's a bittersweet reaction. Yes, Ardondo's lost his job. Some people seeing that as accountability, but these families still have to live the rest of their lives with empty chairs at the dinner table. And as far as what Ardondo has had to say about this, right, was he humble? Was he apologetic? He was no, fuck no. Instead, releasing a statement through his lawyer, blasting the whole meeting and saying, Chief Ardondo will not participate in his own illegal and unconstitutional public lynching and respectfully request the board immediately reinstate him with all back pay and benefits and close the complaint as unfounded, alleging that the board fired him without giving him a chance to publicly clear his name, effectively defaming him, and defending his actions at the shooting, saying that he and his officers saved as many lives as they could with the tools available, and claiming that Arredondo was being forced into the role of the fall guy, the sacrificial lamb, with him even accusing the Department of Public Safety head of racism, saying that when he blamed Arredondo, it was a smokescreen attempt to blame the Mexicans. So yeah, that's where that fucking mess is right now. And so we'll have to wait to see what happens, but in the meantime, let me know your thoughts on this one. But ultimately, that is where that's story and today's show ends. As always, thank you for watching and subscribing to my daily dives in the news. And if you want more news, I got you covered here or in the links down below. But of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.